Round of 16 fixtures are now complete as all of the Group of Death teams are officially dead and we wait in anticipation to see which remaining nations can give us a semi. I'm James Sabo, here's Nick Guglielmino, and welcome to the Continental Breakfast. Thanks to Sportsmate Mobile, TLA, and the Euro 2020 Live app. Go on, Jimmy. Thank you. It is, uh, Nico, the most important mental meal of the day. We'll scramble over some highlights, toast the lowlights, and serve up whatever's left over. Nicholas, you've got yeah. some news. You're wearing an English kit after their big win against Germany. You found out you're of English heritage. Yeah, that's it. I guess you can say I'm jumping on the bandwagon of Mm. the team that is apparently bringing it home, Mm -hmm. Jimmy. And how about yourself? You're decked out in the Azzurri. I am. I'm wearing the Italy kit because I can feel that something special is coming on Saturday morning for us in Australia at 5am against Belgium. They are the world number ones, but they might be missing a couple of stars, which we will speak to. Nico, who was your hero from the round of 16 clashes? Jimmy, just mm. like the jersey I'm wearing today, I'm going to pick someone from England, and course, that is Raheem course you Sterling. Of course you will. Yep. Because he has been the hero for England this he has tournament. Been. Surprisingly, um, though. Yeah. It's time to put some respect on his name. He's copped a lot of criticism, but he did score another tiebreaker against Germany, and that was his third goal, which is, I mean, G- England's only scored four goals. So for mm. him to score three of them, you know, credit to him. And credit to Southgate as well for sticking with his guns. A lot of people wanted Sterling dropped. Including myself at one point. You did. You were early, very critical. I can't believe you. Early in the you, tournament, to I just wanted to see you jumped off. different plays. Well, they they weren't they haven't been scoring that much before the Germany game, um, and I wanted they've, they've got so many assets on the bench like Sancho, Rashford, um, Grealish as well. Mm-hmm. He, at least he's been coming off the bench, but you know, um, yeah, got late into that game, um, and the scores were still locked at nil all. But you know, Southgate stuck with Sterling. He did, and. He ended up finding uh, the breakthrough for England and, you know, people say, oh, it was only a tap-in. But, you know, if you look at the other end of the field where Thomas Muller missed a golden opportunity mm. to uh, equalise for Germany, you know, you still got to put these goals away and that's, that's right. exactly what Sterling did. He doesn't usually have those uh, opportunities, Muller. To, to counter-attack and one-on-one. So it was fair enough he missed. But, but I mean, come um, on. Yeah, you, player, you, you would have put that in, Nico. You would have put that in. Quality. Hey, you <laughs> mentioned that he scored the first three goals for England. He is only the second player to do that. The, the other player was obviously Gary Lineker from the 1986 World Cup. So it just shows what an influence he's had. And like you said, everyone was bashing... Um, bashing him and and Southgate for keeping the faith in him, stuck to his guns. And luckily for him, because if, if it was 20 minutes, if they didn't score, you know, there would have been a lot of Southgate out because he's left on Harry Kane. He's, le- he's, he's yeah. stuck with a Raheem Sterling. He's played uh, a, a three at the back for the first time. Mm. And he's, he's playing with uh, two defensive midfielders. Exactly. But, it paid off in the end, and tactically they got it right. So it's amazing what one result can do. To That's your right. Uh, it was interesting hearing him after the game, wasn't it, to say that uh, he looked up and saw David Seaman in the um, in the stands, and he and he still feels emotional about the penalty you missed, and he still <laughs> feels guilt about that 1996 penalty shootout. Oh, mate, they're bringing it home. <laughs> they might be bringing it home. It's <laughs> it's early early to uh, to say that because they still got to get past Ukraine. Which should yeah. be easy, to be fair. But my hero comes from Ukraine, and it is Artem Dobvik, who is absolutely – this was magnificent, Nico. You know why? Because this was his first appearance um, for Ukraine this tournament. But he had he only played a few minutes. 
Why are you looking at me strangely? I'm just listening. Oh, you're just, oh, I just <laughs> love, love it when you talk, mate. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> to score that winner, so it was one money in extra time. Obviously, he comes off the bench and he scores the header. Um, Zinchenko's cross was absolutely sublime. It was centimetre perfect. But why this was so fantastic, obviously, it was his first chance to get on the pitch. But before the tournament said, he said, it's really hard to get into this this team because um, there's obviously three strikers in the squad. It's so competitive for places. If I get my chance, though, I'll definitely score. That's what he said. That confidence as well. 24-year-old, no one thought he could do it. He comes yeah. on and delivers that for Ukraine. I thought it was wonderful. It was a brilliant moment for that country. Unbelievable moment. But I think they're a little bit too broken to be able to uh, beat England. That took a lot out of them. But it was yeah, great it to was see. It was a massive game. No matter what happens, they will be. They can't lose any fans after that performance no, to get all. through. So but I thought, yeah, it was like fantastic. you said, playing the extra twenty minutes um, can take it out of you and emotionally as well. It must be draining for them. And then now they've got to go up against England, who mm. who yeah. you think will bring it home. Nico, what was your highlight other than the Eng- England Germany clash? I think it had to be the game of the tournament: France versus Switzerland. Um, this game had it all: six goals, as we know. Um, in regular time. And then, you know, it, it, the game had everything. Six goals, a missed penalty as well from Switzerland. Yeah. Um, and there were so many heroes for Switzerland. I wanted to make them my hero, but who do you pick from? You got Harris Sefrovic, who scored two goals, the equalizer from Mario Gravnovic. Uh, Jan Sommer as well saved the penalty in the penalty shootout. Jan Sommer um, was mine, to be honest. He was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it could have been all of them. Granit Xhaka as well. He provided the assist for the equalizer. I thought he had a good game. He's another one that cops a lot of criticism playing for Arsenal. As we know, he's been uh, booed off at the Emirates uh, a few times. But, yeah, I mean, like, where did it go f- wrong for France? I don't know. Everywhere. Like, when you go up to – I'm just surprised, like, when you go up, go down 3-1 to France, the world champions, especially the way they did, you know, Switzerland had the 1-0 advantage. They missed the opportunity to go 2-0 up. They had their penalty saved. And then – They scored two in a, in a couple of minutes. And then France, that's yeah. it. They scored two uh, quick-fire goals and then 3-1 up. You know, you'd have your head that, – that is – that's uh, heartbreaking for them. And then to find it late to – keep going, score the equaliser and then go again late, mm-hmm. go through extra time and then a penalty shootout against, again, the world champions. That's an unbelievable effort from Switzerland. Mm. They played really. three They played three at the back, the French, which is it copped a lot of criticism um, and they just weren't on. They didn't play good football at all. They didn't have a shot on target in the first half. Horrible. And um, it, we, we saw that it was kind of poetic that Mbappe missed the penalty, I guess, because stepping up to it, he didn't look confident. He didn't have a good tournament. And it was it had to be him to miss the penalty, which was... Uh, I was thinking that too when he stepped up. I'm like, any bet it's going to be him. I don't know. It's just, yeah. 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 Things haven't gone his way this tournament. And but the French might have gotten a bit too big for their boots. And in the crowd, even, it was spilling over. So Rabiot's mother actually was having a go at... Uh, Pogba's family in the stands, Mbappe's family in the stands. It was clashing there. There's infighting. It is falling apart. And it was a horrible yeah. exit for, for the French who at least they can say, hey, we're still world champions. But uh, they've got another 12 months to, to say that because next year we might. If they, if they come with the same attitude that they had, mm. they weren't very impressive. They were impressive no. in patches, but, no. but not all together. 
Nico, my highlight, um, as you can tell, I'm wearing the Italian jersey. It's very close to my heart. Matteo Piscina's goal for Italy. Now, you know why? Because he wasn't even supposed to be in the squad. But obviously, injuries allowed him to come in. And he's scored twice now. And that was the sealer on what was a, a difficult game for Italy. I thought Mancini could have made changes earlier mm. in the contest. He could have brought Chiesa on much earlier than he did. He brought Piscina on. He scored. And it's uh, it's one of those unsung heroes, I think. Uh, the story is going to be great. If, if Italy can deliver this Euro, uh, yeah. he's going to be one of the heroes that's well, going to be. It proved decisive in the end, didn't it? It was Obviously. decisive because they got a late goal, didn't Austria they? Austria scored. Austria. Yep. So, um, yeah, that was, that was my big moment. I think that it's huge because... It, Italian football was dead a few years ago when they didn't make the World Cup. It was, it was like that was a rock bottom. It was rock bottom. It was a death. But it, it was actually a good thing that that happened because they got to change the philosophy of Italian football. They got rid of the defensive approach. They got a new uh, coach in, some youth, and they're playing with a different attitude. And I think that's yeah. the thing that had to happen to change it. So this is a really impressive squad that um, have got a chance to win it. Nico, what was your low light? My low light was uh, Marcus Danielson's red card in that uh, Ukraine-Sweden game you were talking about not too long ago. Mm. Um, it was a horrible, horrible challenge. Um, you, you saw it, Jimmy, didn't I you? I did see it. Could have broken it was the a, guy's yeah, leg. It, was a clear, it wasn't a tackle. It was a clearance and a follow-through yeah. with studs up. It's still a red it card. It was bad. And I'm surprised the referee only gave a yellow initially. So initially. thank goodness. Thank goodness for uh, VAR uh, to step in and you know, award the red card. So thankfully, you know, we we I think we mentioned it a couple of shows ago. We haven't had many uh, big controversial calls from referees or VAR. And, mm. you know, thank, thankfully we're saying this for once that VAR is in and they're using it properly. Yeah. Some, some thought it was um, harsh though because it was a clearance, not a tackle, and he got the ball first and then the follow-through yeah. was studs up. But it was I just, did see a bit of that. But yeah. Again, he, I mean, in this day and age, like it studs up. He, yeah, it did. Almost hyperextended. It did. So, yeah, like there's a, listening to the professional speak about it, there's other ways you can clear the ball as well. When you when you go in like that with your studs up, you always leave yourself vulnerable. If you make contact, that was then a shocking tackle. It's yeah. a red card. My low light um, was equally as disgusting, and that was the Netherlands. Um, it wasn't even it wasn't even like luck. You could say that they that they. They lost this game. Um, they were never in the contest, really. They played horribly. And Frank de Boer came out and said that, well, we were dominating, we were controlling the game until yeah. that delict red card. They really weren't. They yeah. weren't in this this game at all. And the delict, obviously, the red card there, um, handball, he he mentioned that he made a mistake anyway by doing that. But, but to allow them... Uh, like the other side to get on top that easily. And they've done it all. Condi- I said to you last week was, or whenever we did the show that they're vulnerable at the back, they mm. proved it again that they're vulnerable at the back. Yep. And he already had a lot of criticism coming in because of the change of formation. Um, and this did them no favors. I mean, they haven't had success recently in the Euros at all. They failed to qualify the last tournament. They failed to qualify for the world cup and they get knocked out like this. I think it was an, an embarrassing performance. Yeah. Yep. And, um, yeah, the, the Van Dyke hole at the back as well. They haven't been able to fill that. So I, I think that also is put towards the, the change of formation. They do rely heavily on him when he is in. But I think, again, they just got too ahead of themselves. They did well in the group stages. They got through with three wins. And they probably went into this game against the Czech Republic a little bit too easily. Mm. But, yeah, and that's what happens. They did well. They're going up. It's a side that puts on a lot of pressure. And they they Absolutely. they don't yeah. usually concede that that often, but they don't usually score either that much. They scored two in this game, but the goals did come after the red card. So, mm. 
Nico, I want your quarterfinal tips because you are a good tipster. You're never wrong, as you always tell me. Uh, the first game is Switzerland that. and Spain. I want to know yeah. your initial thoughts. Who's winning this game? It's a tough one because I still don't think Spain are playing that well and Switzerland are coming off a big game but mm. did go to extra time and they will be going into this game a little bit worn out. I'll go with the experience and say Spain, but they have to make changes. They'll have to make changes at the back, I think. I think the yeah. front three, they know who, who it is. They know the 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 centres, the, the yeah. midfielders, the, the three there. In the back, they look extremely vulnerable. And they can score. Finally, they scored off the back of a, a goalkeeping howler. They scored five last that game. That was a shocking howler. It was a bad howler. And that's why I want De Gea in that side. He's He's been on the bench. Um, yeah. You yeah. want De Gea, you're gonna, De Gea is going to replace just because of that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you can see three goals. Um Obviously, that error as well. It's probably in his head. Got to get De, De Gea in there. I yeah, don't know. It's interesting. I'm not thing. even a Manchester United supporter, but I think it's De Gea in there and also Tiago. Get yeah, him Thiago in that midfield. Played. And he's been that vocal ex- with his, his frustration about not getting on the pitch as well. Absolutely. So, um, I'm, tipping, ugh, I'm tipping Spain to get over the line here. I think there's going to be goals in this one. Yeah. And uh, it'll be an exciting game. There'll be goals in Italy and Belgium as well, I feel. Two teams. This this matchup, I'll go first. I'm going to tip Italy, obviously. But I think playing a team like Belgium will suit because there is space over the back. That's how Italy score. Yeah. Um, they don't. They lack, uh, you know, the number nine or a real attacking threat up forward that you can rely on just to give the ball and he can create something. They need space over the top. And I think Belgium will allow that because they like to attack as well. Obviously, no Kevin De Bruyne. Um, Eden Hazard Eden Hazard's out as well Two big losses So they're big losses And Italy will regain Giorgio Chiellini So he'll probably play with Bonucci at the back Which is vital in this They've had a lot of experience against Lukaku So hopefully they can stop him from scoring And Di Lorenzo as well Plays with um, uh, Dries Mertens So maybe that will will come back in favour for the Italians I'm going to go 2-1 Italy Italy Uh, I think this has a draw written all over it I think with the two big uh, outs for Belgium, mm. I think they're going to play a bit more conservative, make sure they don't concede because their attack isn't as threatening. Um, but Italy as well, uh, obviously we know they have a good defence. So I'm looking at maybe a, a nil-all draw or a one-all draw and it'll go to a penalty shootout. And who wins the penalties? I'll back Italy into win the penalties. Yeah, Donnarumma will have a, a big penalty shootout and, and make a few saves yeah, then. But Courtois as well, good goalkeeper as we know. True, he but is yeah, a good I'll goalkeeper. Go, I'll back Italy in a penalty shootout. All right, Czech Republic and Denmark. Interesting one. Uh, the Czechs have the heart. Mm. They have the hunger. They showed it's a very uh, excited camp. I've been hearing the Czech, the, uh, the Czech Republic camp. After that, that win, they are up and about. Yep. They're excited. But Denmark, we know they've been scoring for fun lately. Yep. I think Czech, is, what have they scored f- five goals all up and Schick scored four of them. Denmark scored eight or nine and uh, they're, they're very um, attacking at the moment and they're doing it for Ericsson. Mm. So I think that may give it, get them over the line. They've got more experience as well, Denmark. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's two teams that are just in red-hot form, running off momentum and adrenaline. Um, but again, it's going to come down to, I don't know how much we can read into this, but um, the extra time factor, like Czech Republic mm. coming off, you know, an extra 20 minutes, is it going, are they going to tire out quicker in this sort of game? That's right. And, and Denmark looked the fresher side and they even said, I think they, they had uh, 
one or two days off they gave them just to relax and do their own thing and unwind. And they're going to be smashing. They're going to be fresh. They will be fresh Denmark. And I think it gets them over the line. I'm even, I think so too. Two or three nil for me. I don't think Czech are going to score. Gee, that'll put them right in contention. But yeah, I'd say Denmark too. The last one, Nico, you've got an eight nil for England here. It's Ukraine v England. Is it eight nil still in your mind? Not eight nil. <laughs> I'm not sure where you got that from. Uh, yeah, not eight nil. But I do think England should win comfortably here. Um, obviously, won their game in 90 minutes. Uh, Ukraine didn't. They had to go through that extra 20 minutes again. Um, and Ukraine, I don't think were the better side against Sweden. So I think they just scraped through. That was their final, pretty much. Yeah. Um, they go up against a strong England side who are, you know, confident at the moment. Would say, yeah. Um, so yeah, I reckon England comfortably two nil, three nil. On paper, Ukraine shouldn't even get close in this one, especially with the injuries they've got. But England, as we know, sometimes pressure can do crazy things to the mind, they and can. we know in big tournaments. But they haven't conceded yet, which is also they haven't. Thanks to Pickford, he's been fantastic. Yeah. I was going to say though, if you thought that was pressure against Germany, this is pressure now because all they're the fans they're win. expected to win. Mm. There is no excuses if they don't beat Ukraine, and true, it's true. You know, does that play with the mind? I don't know. But they haven't looked impressive it's this good. tournament, it's be interesting. They haven't They haven't looked impressive this tournament. Tactically, Southgate got it right last game, but they didn't look great. They haven't yeah, looked great. They've got the result. That's all that matters in the end. In but knockout how games. surprised would you be if they drop a game or draw a game to Ukraine and get to knocked Ukraine, out? To Ukraine, I'd be very surprised. I th- yeah, so would I, to be they fair. They should get <laughs> past Ukraine. They should get. The next one, the semi-final, I think that's when... A, It'll really kick in Mm. one step away from the final. That's right. A lot to be excited about. And that's all from Nick and I. But I'm going to be speaking to Adriano Del Monte, who's in Europe at the moment. We'll find out if he's in Italy or where he's at because he's been corresponding for Optus Sport. He's been following the Italian team. I'm going to speak to him about that and his predictions for the Euro tournament. It'll be great. Stick around for that. That's all we've got time for. Hashtag Continental Breakfast. Let us know what you thought of the show and let us know what you're thinking about this interview. Okay, today's guest is a sports media master with a passion for culture that has seen him report on and present football all over the world. His expert knowledge of the game resulted in him becoming the very first Australian host for Bean Sports and has covered more major events than I've had Zoom calls. He's interviewed the likes of Lionel Messi, Jose Mourinho, Alessandro Del Piero, Gianluigi Buffon, just to name a small few, and his courage to venture out to Europe and chase the dream job is inspiring to many sports media professionals around the country. As an ESPN and Optus Sport correspondent, he's based in Milan, born in Australia, but a piece of his heart is in every place of the globe where the round ball is kicked. It's Mr. Adriano Del Monte. Welcome, welcome, mate. Thanks for having a chat. Thank you for the very, very kind introduction. Good to be with you. That's good, mate. Hey, I wanted to ask you, it looks like you're having an incredible time over there. Is it as good as it looks? It's busy. At the moment <laughs> where you've caught me right in the middle of the of the Euros, it's uh, the busiest tournament, the busiest anything I've ever had to cover. I mean, mm. it's, a, it's a very unique tournament, obviously, in the fact that the tournament is being played across multiple countries. And with that comes a lot of challenges, but then you throw the COVID situation on top of that. Yeah. And I've been doing more COVID tests than I've actually done work. <laughs> so it's it's been a very difficult logistical challenge, but certainly enjoying it. Yeah. So what does day-to-day look like for you at the moment? Look, day-to-day differs. I'm currently, well, over the course of the European Championships, I'm working for three broadcasters on a, well, daily or every second day basis. It's been 
extremely busy. But a typical day, a typical match day is a case of well, waking up and seeing what's in my inbox because every day there are different requests, different demands that, that land in my email inbox. And it's a matter of just adhering to them as quickly as possible. So on a typical day, I'll wake up, I'll have to normally cross into a, a live morning show, European time into Australia. I'll do that, then shoot some other content and flavor around the various cities that I'm in for broad, my broadcasters in India and in Africa, which I'm working with. And then it's a matter of making my way to the game, ensuring all my documentation is in place, ensuring I've had the relevant COVID tests and making sure that that's all done before getting to the match and then basically commencing the, the live broadcast requirements from within the stadium. So it's, it's very challenging, very tricky. I've been running through some tunnels inside stadiums that no one would ever know existed to make it on time for various live crosses for the various networks. But as I said, it's been a lot of fun, but certainly looking forward to some rest on the other side. That's good. And you're well prepared. Obviously it's not your first rodeo. You've done world cups. You've hosted international events. You can only do these things. Obviously, if you've got a strong passion, I wanted to ask you where your passion for football came from, because I know you're an, you're an AFL fan too, and a top player as well. Uh, Ivanhoe, old Ivanhoe, you kicked 483 goals in 178 <laughs> matches. What a champion. Everyone talks about you in Ivanhoe, but where did that love of football come from? Again, very, very kind of you, and you've done your research. But the the round ball passion for me has always been the passion. To be honest, Aussie rules is something I've just done because friends played, I played, I was okay, and it was something that, that I okay. always just yeah. did as 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 a as a hobby and yeah. and something that I always tried to pursue as 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 a high level as possible, I suppose. With regards to the round ball football, it's something that was instilled in me from the day I was born. I was born in Australia, yes, but all my family were were born and raised here in Italy. And when migrating to Australia, what they brought with them was the round ball, the world game. And so when I was born, I very quickly realized that this was a tool, particularly for my grandparents' generation, that when they moved their young families to Australia, this was really a sport, a tool that was utilized for them to integrate into a new society where they didn't understand the language, they didn't have any idea of even where they were going to. And football was a way for them to remain connected with well, particularly fellow Italians initially, and then obviously just helping them integrate into, into the wider community. So it was something that's been instilled in my family for forever and ever. And I suppose being born and raised into that, it became my number one passion very quickly. And I can tell you from as early an age as nine or 10, working in football in television, I don't know why, but it was always what I wanted to do. Yeah. And the, the fact that it's taken a, certainly a lot of hard work, sacrifice, investment, effort that many don't see or, or don't even know about. But it's pretty crazy to think that now after after this time that I've been able to, to live this dream out in some degree. And from that regard, given where it all started and now where I'm at, it is very rewarding and something that within I'm always very proud of. You spoke about the hard work and, and the sacrifices. You fly over to Europe, I think, maybe around the age of 20 after uni, you've, you've gone to straight to England. You end up uh, working with the Guardian, ESPN, Sky Sports. How did you actually do that? Was it through networking? Did you know beforehand who you were connecting with or you went and took a chance? So I've never had any door open for me without 
making it happen for myself. That's something, again, probably the thing above all that I've been most proud about. It's uh, the ability, yes, you mentioned networking and, and just building and, and strengthening and maintaining relations in order to, to facilitate opportunities that previously I didn't even know existed. My story in a nutshell started when I finished my high school. I, again, I knew what I wanted to do. There is no degree at university that says study to become a football TV presenter, it just doesn't exist. So I, I did do a degree at, at in Melbourne, at Melbourne Uni, I did an, an arts media degree there and was able to, to get my qualification. But while doing that, I was seeking ways to, well, how do I get my foot in the industry? And I was very lucky to land a position at a, well, a relative startup at the time, which is now one of the world's biggest, Goal.com. And I was mm. 17 at the time, and I, I reached out to someone who was writing there and just asked, would it be possible to do some writing? I had a strong passion for writing. And basically, they liked my work. And three years later, I had been working for them all hours of the morning, doing all sorts of things from live comment, live text commentary on matches to editorial work to maintaining the website and really played a, well, I played a small role in, in the in this initial years of that particular publication. It got to a point though, where working from home on the other side of the world wasn't really feasible. And once I finished my studies, I decided that, well, maybe it would be the smart option to get myself to, to the UK and, and test my wits there. And I applied for a couple of internships and yeah, you mentioned ESPN, Sky Sports, The Guardian particularly were ones where I was very fortunate to spend some time. And it really gave me my first hands-on experience of what the industry is all about. Did I want to be a journalist, a writer long-term? No, absolutely not. But it was my way of, well, I had some experience in that regard. It got my foot in the door. And, and it went from there. I was fortunate to do some writing from the 2010 World Cup in South Africa as a very, very young kid. And it was just something, it was just a feather in the cap early on just to get the ball rolling. And that was the start of then what was to come, not only from a work perspective, but also from a mentality perspective in terms of what's required in order to take it as far as I can potentially go. Mm. And how did you end up in Italy? Well, that's a decade of work, sacrifice, and yeah. a lot of unrewarded work and sacrifice that, that got me to this point. Going on from my time in the UK, I then returned to Australia and it was it was difficult because it was, well, again, what is there in Australia that will take me to where I want to go? And my passion for football, the situation in Australia is such that there aren't so many opportunities. Many people have told me or asked me always, how have you done so much work abroad and not so much locally in Australia? And it's not that the level is necessarily any different. It's purely down to the fact that in Australia, there are simply not so many networks. There are not so many opportunities to get that start. And so I was aware of that very, very early on. And so I decided to take my writing skills into the radio sphere. I did some work with SEN in Melbourne for a couple of years and a sport FM out of Perth. Also launched my own websites, uh, which obviously looked after the radio shows. And we had writers, 30, 40 writers from all over the world contributing news. It was just my way of being proactive. And that's something that I always share with a lot of younger kids coming through who aspire to do something similar that reach out for some guidance. I always say, if you're being proactive, then you're doing more than someone yeah. else who isn't doing that. And it does, you don't need to be getting paid for it. You, you just need to be active. You need to be able to show someone that you are active in the space if it's the space you wish to pursue a career in. Now, 
when I do provide that advice, I always do say that I am very open and honest in saying that I had phenomenal support from my family, particularly my parents, in order to facilitate that time of, well, doing something that you love without getting paid, because there was a lot of that over the journey. And that's the unfortunate reality of pursuing this space. It's it's not that anyone can just do it, because if my circumstances were different, I would not have been able to pursue what I had pursued for so long. But in any case, blessed that I was able to. And it basically took me from hosting my own show in Melbourne to reaching out to a few of my contacts that I had made at ESPN, who then had moved to the US. And there was a particular contact who really liked my work, who had moved to the US. He knew that I wanted to work in TV. And despite being very raw, very inexperienced, invited me to Miami out of all places in 2012 to come and test with a new network that were launching. Not many people knew what it was, what they were about. But before I knew it, I was on a plane and I was off to Miami. So I had flown over to Miami as a very young, inexperienced 22-year-old. And I was doing a, my first ever TV test, TV screen test with Bean Sports, this new network that were launching their headquarters out of Miami in the USA. And it went well. And they said, we'll be in touch. And that be in touch was 18 months later in 2014. And that was eventually the thing that got the ball rolling. So I, I spent I spent some time in 2014 in Miami with them. They uh, be in sports then bought into Australia in 2015. And before I knew it, they said, well, you've got the Australian guy with the Australian voice in Miami, send him to us in Doha. So before I knew it, I, I swapped the beach and party life of Miami for the very different but incredible life in Doha, Qatar. And that was really the start of getting me to where I am now. A couple of years in Doha, then returned to Melbourne for a bit, worked with a startup football nation radio there for a little bit just to keep the skills sharp and then decided that to make the move here to Milan, I was working with various TV broadcasters and thought if I base myself here, it may be the, the strategic move to play. So in a nutshell, that's been the journey. There's been a lot of time in the US as well. 2017, I spent a lot of time in New York, again, just dabbling with some opportunities and pursuing some contacts and networks, but a very short version of a very, very long story and journey over the last 10 years. Mm, and a great one, mate. I'm very jealous. Like I said before the chat, I would love to be doing half of what you're doing, but you've mentioned that you know, sometimes it all looks pretty and glamorous in front of the camera, but behind the scenes, a lot of work to be done. What is the biggest challenge about your job? Mm. It's a good question. I look, I think the biggest challenge of the journey first is the fact that you do need to persist. You need to be patient and you just need to keep at it and persevere it's they're, they're challenges which you do not experience in well I certainly have experienced to this level in any other facet of my life I mean so many times I've questioned myself thinking you know I've got brains I was educated I could do any job I could enjoy football as a fan and I could do any job earn money be safe be secure and do that but that's just never been what I've been about and Although that's not what I'm about, it still is. A, it's a constant challenge. It is, it's, it's a daily challenge, even in a position like now where I am very lucky to be working for six or seven global broadcasters, living in a wonderful city, you still do question yourself. And I like that, though, because it keeps myself honest, keeps me humble, keeps me on my toes, and just ensures that I'm on the right direction. Mm. The toughest thing about the job is that 
what you see, the end product, is 1% of the whole thing. And not that I really care what other people think or see, but the other people are those that judge what you do. And you have to have very thick skin because particularly in football, people are very passionate. Mm. In anything, people are very passionate. But football, you know, they're super passionate about their football. And, you know, I, for example, here at the Euros, I'm, I'm covering 14 games in the space of four weeks. And that is across six countries. It, it's unlike anything I've ever done in my life. And I'm nine games in. I have my 10th match tomorrow night in Germany. Before that, I have to go to Rome. I'm in Milan now. You know, it's, it's so tiring and so taxing, but people only judge you on your end product. Mm. And that's tough. It's very, very tough because you, particularly online, you are only criticized. People yes. don't don't boost you up. You're only criticized. So look, it's not something that phases me, but they are challenges that you do need to, well, you need to embrace. You need to take them on because they're always there. So they're just various elements that make the the job a little tougher that most people don't see. I mean, you know, a five minute cross before a match, for example, tomorrow night, I'll do a couple of crosses into Optus Sport live before the match there's hours of work that goes into that. And I'm not even talking about the preparation in terms of reading up and making sure you're up to date, but there is hours of logistics, transportation, getting around that you just don't see. So it's just ensuring that you're on top of that. But I do think that over the course of the journey, particularly the journey that I've had, you do learn how to manage and how to adapt and how to remain calm in those situations, which I do feel is a strength of mine, but that comes with practice and time. Hmm. something interesting i heard you say and i really liked it you said you don't really believe in the phrase you i've made it or you've made it you you think you can always do better what's the next step for you there what what goal would you like to achieve that's right it's it's something that i look i think everyone's entitled to have their own dreams and goals absolutely but the whole concept of you've made it. I can understand reaching the pinnacle in a, in a, in a various field, but you can always do more. Mm. So if you are one to, to sit back and think I've made it, that's something you can do in retirement when you can look back and be very proud of what you achieved. But if in the moment you've made it, that's not good enough for me because I always feel that I can grow, learn, and always improve. I've always been very open and honest in saying that, okay, I've been able to get to where I've got to, yes, because I'm capable at what I do. I'm not going to shy away from that fact. But that does not necessarily mean that from day one, I was the best at what I did. But I believe that I had the best mentality to pursue what I wanted to pursue in order to maximize my potential. That's always what I come back to. So with that, I feel that I can always grow and learn. So when you ask what my next step is, to be honest, growing, learning, adapting, and just absorbing what's around me is my next step. And I, it's very, very difficult, particularly at the, in the current day in the television space to really set goals that are in the distant future because the, the landscape of broadcast as we know it today is changing constantly. And it's mainly down to digital media, social media. It is really changing the way that consumers absorb content and consume content. So I do have, I suppose I do have goals of what I would, some some smaller specific goals of things I would like to do, specific events I would like to host, if and when they present themselves. 
but I suppose I'm saying I'm not hell bent on, I must do that one thing because that may take me away from all of the other opportunities that may present themselves. And that's mm. something that I'm always very cautious of when I suppose uh, mentoring people to set goals and objectives you want to keep them a little open in order to adapt because certainly when I was younger, I can reflect on times where maybe I was too focused on something that was a little too specific and it took me away from a potential other path. And now that I'm on that path, I feel, okay, I'm glad I'm on that path now, but perhaps if I was a little more open-minded when I was younger, I could have already been on that path. So I know perhaps doesn't it doesn't probably apply to everyone, but certainly for me in my space, which is constantly changing, I always think that there is more out there. There is more to learn, more ways to improve and more paths to grow on. You've interviewed some, some special people over the time, some absolute legends. Do you have a favorite that you interviewed? And, and also Valentina Rossi, that was all, I love my football, I love my culture, but Valentina Rossi is a, is a big idol of mine. I wanted to know what it was like to interview him. Was he one of your favorites? As much as I love football, football, yeah. I like to try and maintain some sort of fan passion. Yeah. But certainly when it comes to other sports, I have always taken greater joy out of interviewing stars from other sports. Yeah. I guess it's just something that I'm not as consumed in all the time. And so Valentino, for example, was one who was, yeah, it was, it was special. That was incredible. That was in La Salle in Doha in Qatar, the, the first event of uh, just outside of Doha, rather mm. the first MotoGP event of that particular year when I was there. And that was special to be able to interview him, Mark Marquez, who was obviously very young at the time, but, those sorts of individuals who I don't look, I, I love motorsport. Don't get me wrong, but clearly I don't watch or consume as much motorsport as I do football. Yeah. So to be able to work with some of those individuals at the absolute pinnacle of their respective fields is always very special. Serena Williams. I was very lucky to interview. I was working with the WTA uh, directly as their correspondent in Melbourne at the Australian Open the last time she won a Grand Slam. She hasn't won one since. I don't know if I was the jinx <laughs> or I've been the cause, but she she won. And as the WTA, we had the first official interview after she won before mm. the, the first main press conferences. So that was that was probably the most special interview that I was able to do. It was actually quite a funny story because we weren't, it hadn't been confirmed whether I would interview her immediately after coming off the court or after she would go into her room, relax for five minutes, then come back. Mm. And they gave me the word 30 seconds before she's coming in right now. So I was in this four by four little dark room and I'm just sitting there waiting, not expecting her to come in. And sure enough, the first thing I saw was the big trophy. Then her, she came in and sat down and I, you know, I had four or five minutes to knock off three or four questions. And yeah, that's a, it's a surreal feeling, I suppose, particularly upon reflection when you're like, wow, that's, yeah. that's arguably the, the greatest tennis player. Well, certainly the greatest female tennis player ever, but certainly one of the greatest tennis players, men or women in history. Mm. And that, that is a special thing, particularly upon reflection, as I said, but those, those two combined with, with the football stars, I, probably my favorite football interview would have to be Gianluigi Buffon, yeah. someone as a kid growing up that always looked up to and, and really, really idolized and just such a, or such a beautiful individual. And to, to hear him speak despite playing for 25 years. And when we talk about you've made it, not being my favorite saying, mm. he's someone who embodies that yeah. wholeheartedly. He's yeah. someone who... 
He's just signed for a second division club mm-hmm. in Italy, Parma. <laughs> 26 years ago, he played for them. He made his debut for them. He's someone who's just so passionate about the game and always seeking to improve himself still into his mid-40s. So that was a very special interview as well. That's brilliant. I've got to ask you about the Azzurri because you are the man that knows it all over there. I wanted to ask you what the vibe is like in Italy and Europe at the moment about the Azzurri. Is there a confidence about them coming in against Belgium? It's been incredible. This has been a tournament so far that I think has exceeded all expectations for everyone, not just for Italy. The results, the matches, it's been incredible. For Italy specifically, I can tell you from the start of the tournament, there was positivity. There was optimism that this team could go all the way. They they came in in incredible form. The, The stats, the numbers, what they'd been able to do under Mancini, it was remarkable. And I've been witnessing it here the last couple of years that the enthusiasm and the, the passion around the national team outside of international tournaments. The 2018 World Cup, which obviously is, is the worst moment in Italy's football history, there wasn't enough respect and passion for matches that didn't matter. So even qualification matches for World Cups, qualification matches for Euros, there wasn't the same respect and regard for them. After missing the World Cup, after bringing in a new manager in Mancini, that mentality has now changed. And every time that blue shirt takes the field, there is this mentality that's never been seen before in Italy, that we must win every game. And it sounds ridiculous if you haven't followed Italy as much as I have, but Italy, historically, they just do enough when they need to to get through, then they take care of the rest. There've been World Cups they've won where they've drawn all three games in the group stage against lesser nations and then started to perform and beaten big nations when it mattered in the semis and the final. That mentality has been thrown out now. And now every match they take to the field, it's just, you must win, you must score. And so with that now, the feeling is as such, going in tomorrow night, Belgium, the world number one ranked nation, although I I feel the rankings are ridiculous. But anyway, the number one ranked nation in the world, there is the feeling that Italy go in this as the favourites to win. And Mm. I'm certainly going there expecting that Italy will win. Belgium do have a couple of injury concerns. Italy are playing with a spirit, with a a morale that I have not seen in any other group. And I've covered every big nation so far at the tournament. There's no nation who gets close to the unity that's shown in this Italian team. And for me, at the end of the day, whether they beat Belgium or not, whether they go all the way or not, they will maximise their potential. They'll maximise whatever they're capable of doing here because they're leaving it all out there on the field. And that's been very refreshing to see for an Italian team historically who just do not play like this. So that's the feeling now around Europe. There is caution because Italy were incredibly being considered by many as a dark horse to win the tournament, which is ludicrous because when they're a ta- when it's tournament football, Italy is never a dark horse. Italy are always a favourite. But now the feeling is there, many suggesting Italy are the favourite to win it all, even though the final will obviously not be played in Italy. But there is a lot of positivity about this young and experienced Italian team. You're hoping, I'm hoping, the Azzurri do it. If it's not Italy who, who win the tournament, which nation are you predicting? Not England. Not England. Not England. No, not England. They'll um, get past uh, Ukraine, uh, though, won't they? 
I think it will be difficult. I'll be covering yeah. the England-Ukraine match for Optus on Saturday. So I've got tomorrow night, Friday will be Italy-Belgium, yeah. Saturday-England-Ukraine. I think it will be tough. I covered Ukraine against Netherlands in Amsterdam yeah. in the group stage. And while I do feel that England are, well, possibly a better team than Netherlands, I think England may struggle outside of, of London coming to the Olympic or in Rome, neutral venue against mm. a, a tough Ukraine team. Ukraine have a, some strong aerial presence. Ukraine have some really talented players, some that play here in Serie A. So I don't think it will be straightforward. England do go in as favourites, but I don't necessarily think it will be a, a very easy one. And to be honest, they have not impressed me at all so far, mm. England. They're, they're, they've done enough so far. But I do think that if it's not to be Italy, I think that the winner of this Italy-Belgium game will be my favourite. So if it is to be Belgium that defeats Italy, I think Belgium. I think Belgium will take care of Spain or, or Switzerland in the semi-final, and Belgium even at Wembley potentially against England. The Belgium are far superior for me, so I think the winner will come out of the quarterfinal in Munich tomorrow night. I like it, Adriana. With all my guests, I like to end with ten quick questions. So the first thing that pops into your head, okay? Go for it, man. Right, first one. Your favorite food? Pizza. Your favorite movie? My favorite movie, Titanic. Titanic, really? There you go. I've never actually seen it, you know that? Oh, you're missing out. I've got to watch it. I'll watch it after this. Um, okay, in Italy, you go for the aperitivo, yeah? At about 5 o'clock, you have a drink before dinner. What is what is your drink of choice? Negroni. Ah, good. Uh, the favourite player you've interviewed, I asked you that one. It, well, you said it was Gianluigi Buffon. We'll stick with Buffon. We'll stick with Buffon. Your favourite holiday destination in Europe? Taormina in Sicily. Oh, yes. Nice. Beach, isn't it? Beautiful, beautiful spot in Sicily. Not too far from where my family are from. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, who is your mentor? My father. Very nice. Your favourite quote? My favourite quote. quote. The measure of success is how we cope with disappointment. I like that one. What's been your worst experience interviewing someone? Have you had a bad experience ever? I haven't had a bad, bad experience, but I have had uh, I've had a couple of experiences where technical issues have have uh, come into have come into play. Yeah. I was actually hosting the the FIFA Best, the World Player of the Year awards here in yeah. Milan a couple of years ago, and I had I was interviewing uh, Jose Mourinho. And as I was interviewing Jose Mourinho, they were telling me in my ear to wrap it up because Messi was coming. <laughs> and the technical, like my audio dropped out. So I, my interview went a little too long with Mourinho and then we actually missed Messi. So that was, that was yeah. quite disappointing. But then fortunately, Messi won the award. We got him later. Interview, yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, if you could uh, be a manager of any club in the City R, who would it be? It would have to be the best run club, Juventus. Yeah, very nice. I thought you'd say that, which is good. I'm a Juventus man as well. Last one. Would you rather score the winning goal in extra time or save the winning penalty in a shootout? No, you've got to score the winning goal in extra time. Okay. (laughs) Brilliant. I talked to Zappers last week and he said, no, he'd always save it. He'd rather save it. (laughs) No, I'm scoring every day. Brilliant. Adriana, I could speak to you all day, mate, but I know you're a busy man, so I'll let you go. I can't thank you enough for coming on today and having a chat. I do hope we speak again soon. And you've got to promise me, FaceTime me when Italy win the final, okay? I will cheer with you. My pleasure, mate. Anytime, James. Thanks. Thank you, mate. Ciao. Ciao, ciao.